So one of my favorite parts in a movie is when, like, the bad guy and the good guy try to make a deal, you know? Like, it's, it's pretty epic in Bond movies, right? You know, Bond is captured. He's hanging over, like, the shark tank because apparently villains have access to sharks. And, like, Bond is, is going back and forth. And, like, the bad guy's like, here's the entirety of my evil plan. And Bond's like, oh, tell me everything. And then he goes, listen, Captain Villain Guy, like, I will let you go if you, if you tell me everything. And, and that's not true at all because, like, as soon as Bond gets out of the bind that he's in, it's like he's not, like, fair enough. You know, see you later, alligator. Like, he doesn't do any of that. Like, he takes him out. Like, that is basically every Bond movie except for one. I just described it to you. Now, this happens in media and movies all the time, like the bad guy bargaining with the superhero or the hostage negotiator, you know, asking for a sign of good faith or your favorite TV show probably has a moment where one character, you know, tries to make a deal with another character. That's basically the entirety of what sitcoms are. Like every sitcom has one like moment where one, you know, like character says, hey, I'm going to move into your apartment and you move into mine. And then hilarity ensues. Like it's a deal being made all over the place all the time. And we do this in real life too. See, we make deals. Sometimes we make them with other people. You know, that's what business is, is basically making deals, signing a contract. Yes, I will pay to stay in this house. And in return, I get to stay in this house. Yes, I will pick you up from practice. No, I won't forget. Yes, I did forget that one time. Marriage is a deal kind of between two people, and we make deals at home. If you pick up your room, then you get to go to Billy's house to play, or if you do the dishes, I won't be mad at you. I didn't say they're all good deals. If you leave me alone for two minutes, I won't be as cranky. That's a real deal that I made this week with one of my kids. We make deals sometimes with other people, sometimes at home, sometimes with ourselves. Like if you finish the workout and you get to watch the TV show or whatever, you finish the workout and you get the pizza, which kind of defeats the purpose, but we do that sometimes. Or these three words, just one more. That's a deal that we make all the time. Just one more drink. You know, just one more look. Just one more day. Just one more episode on Netflix. Like, quit judging me, Netflix. Yes, I'm still here. You know, I'll start doing what I need to do tomorrow. See, we make deals. Other people at home, at work, at church, with ourselves. And we make deals with God. Like, all the time. I was thinking, okay... What's the first deal I tried to make with God? And I was, I was thinking back, and I don't remember if this is probably the first one, but this is the one I remember the best. I was in high school. I'm in algebra, and there's a very pretty girl across the room. And I prayed this prayer. I said, God, help me go over and talk to her. And if you help me do that, I won't swear ever again. Neither of those things happened. I didn't go over there, and I swore again, probably because I didn't have the guts to go over there. You know, we do that, right? Like, we're in high school or or we're in college. We're like, help me with this biology test I didn't study for, you know, or whatever. But as life goes and as things in life get a little bit more serious, the deals that we try to make with God become more serious too. Here's kind of what it sounds like. Like, God, please help me 
with this bill. And if you do, we're like, hey, God, please save him from the cancer. And if, and if you do, like, God, if you show up for me when I need it the most, when I want it the most, how I want it, where I want it, like, this is what I'll do for you. This is my devotion. This is my trust. This is my life. This is whatever. And we make these deals with God. They're like, I'll believe in you, God. If you do this for me, deal? What deal are you tempted to make with God right now? I mean, think about it. What do you want the most in your life at this very moment? Can you identify it? What do you think about the most? What do you talk about the most? What do you spend your money on? Or maybe, maybe this is a better way to think about it. What would hurt you the most if you lost it? We make deals with God all the time. Now, we're in this series that we're calling Not So Superheroes, and we've been going through the book of Judges and talking about all of these things concerning the Israelites, the people of God in the Old Testament, first half of the Bible, what they did do and what they didn't do and how God rescued them over and over and over again. And there's this spiral that happens in the book of Judges that we've been talking about the last three weeks, the sin spiral. And when you look at it, I think you can actually kind of see all sorts of deals that are being made. So the people of God turn away from God. They actually start making deals with like the people who are around them that God had told them to cast out of the land. Or they make deals with false gods. And they're like, this is what we want. We don't want, we don't want to fight. We want this to be easy. We don't want to do what God wants us to do. And they sin and they turn from what God wants them to do. And so God allows them to be oppressed. So people were just kind of not treating the Israelites well. It was a bad situation oftentimes. And over and over and over in the book of Judges, this happens. And so they're oppressed. And then the people of God start to make a deal with God again. They cry out to God. And they say, look, God, if you show up, we'll start to follow you again. If you show up, we'll be yours again. And God does show up over and over and over again. And he sends deliverance in the form of a judge, like a tribal leader. And the tribal leader comes and he fights the people who are oppressing the Israelites. Then there's a time of peace for a season, usually the lifetime of a judge, and then rinse and repeat, and it happens over and over and over again. And today, I want to talk to you about a really, really bad deal that somebody tried to make with God in the book of Judges. It's about a guy named Jephthah. So here's the setup. Israel wasn't doing the right stuff again. The story kind of gets a little old in the book of Judges. It's like, that's kind of the point that's being made. And this time Israel is oppressed by two kingdom groups, the Philistines and the Ammonites, and they're oppressed for 18 years. And finally, the Israelites had had enough and they cry out to God. And this is what they said. Finally, they cried out to God, the Lord for help saying, we have sinned against you because we've abandoned you as our God, and have served the images of Baal, like false gods, like we've turned against you. We've, we've left you. Can you help us, please? Same story, different day. And now this time, Israel and the Ammonites were lined up for war. And the Israelite leaders said amongst themselves, we ain't going to win this war. Whoever goes over there and fights first, shows bravery they'll be our ruler and they'll get us out of this situation. And that is a weird thing to say. And enter our not-so-superhero. Like, he should have a theme song. Like, Super Jephthah, da-da-da-da. Like, but that, this is what happens. 
There are a lot of details in this story that are incredible. And I'm not going to read the entire story to you. There are all sorts of details. Here's, here's really what I encourage you to do. We, we have something here called the Ridge Reading Challenge. Here's a QR code. There's a QR code in front of you. There's the, a link that we're putting in the comments right now. And I would encourage you, if you ever kind of wanted to dig deeper into the Bible or dig deeper even into what we're talking about on Sunday morning, go and check out the Ridge Reading Challenge. Monday through Friday, reading some of, of the Bible. We're, right now we're in the book of Judges. And I think if you you read the book of Judges after we've been talking about it, you might see the sin spiral over and over and over again, or you might find out some really amazing details in these stories that, that are pretty epic because this is, this is like Game of Thrones stuff, life or death stuff in, in the book of Judges. Now, the Israelites are lined up against the Ammonites and the leaders said, okay, whoever goes over there first is going to be our ruler. But the Ammonites actually struck first because the Israelites were kind of cowardly. And the Israelite leaders, probably out of fear, sent for this guy, Jephthah. And he's kind of like a thug. I mean, he's kind of like, I don't know, remember the Sopranos, like Tony Soprano, like a gangsta, like without the R. Like, I mean, he's a bad dude. And he's living in the hills with a bunch of rebels He's not the best guy, and he's actually not on very good terms with Israel because Israel had kicked him out already. He was not someone that it made sense to call, right? They don't know each other. Like, it would be really weird to call somebody and be like, hey, Jephthah, you up? Like, that, like, this was not a good situation. And the leaders are begging Jephthah, please come. Please help. And they said, let's make a deal. And Howie Mandel didn't come out. There weren't any, like, you know, suitcases or anything like that. But this is how they made a deal. Check this out. This is the leaders, what they said to Jephthah. If you lead us in battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. And so Jephthah said to the elders, let me get this straight. If I come with you, and if the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites... Will you really make me ruler over all of the people? And anytime you're making a deal and the person you're making a deal with says, now let me get this straight, that should give you pause because it's a lopsided deal going on. Like if you're talking to somebody and they're like, I will give you $1,000 to dog sit my dog. I'd be like, let me get this straight. How many dogs you got? Like, what are we talking about here? Like, what's the catch? And that's what Jephthah's trying to do. Jephthah was not a good dude. He's not somebody who should be trusted. They're desperate. And his followers, actually, Jephthah's followers, are described as worthless rebels. That's who they're dealing with. But the leaders are so desperate, they're like, it doesn't matter. And Jephthah's like, okay, this deal does seem desperate. Let me get this straight. And the leaders responded. This is what they said. The Lord is our witness. We promise to do whatever you say. So Jephthah's like, all right. They made Jephthah their ruler. He got ready for battle. He actually started to negotiate with the Ammonites. They go back and forth a little bit. He's trying to make a deal with them. He's trying to make a treaty with them. And there's no dice. So war is looming. They're getting ready. And now the rest of the story is kind of split up into two different things that happen at the exact same time. Part one, Jephthah's triumph. And part two, Jephthah's failure. And they're intertwined and it's a little complicated, but this is kind of what happened. When you read the story, these are happening at the exact same time. But they're two really distinct things. Part one, Jephthah's triumph. So the people of God and the Ammonites go to war. 
And the spirit of the Lord God is with Jephthah. And Jephthah beat the tar out of the Ammonites. I mean, he just crushed them. Devastating towns. You're devastating and pushing out the Ammonites completely. He would be a hero in our history books. Like we would sing, we are the champions. After he got back, like he just crushed it. Except for one thing. Just one little deal that he made. Which led to how he's remembered. So part one, Jephthah won. He triumphed. But part two is Jephthah's failure. So he won. He had the spirit of the Lord with him. He was doing what God wanted him to do. But before Jephthah went to war, he made a vow to God. And that doesn't seem like a big deal. But God didn't ask him to make a vow. God didn't want him to strike a deal. He was already with him. But Jephthah struck a deal with God because he assumed that he had to buy a good relationship with God, like all these other false gods that he interacted with. And so this is what he said. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house. If you give me this, I'll give you that. He says, whatever whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph, I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. And that doesn't seem like that big of a deal to us, right? You're like, why does this matter? Well, the vow dishonored God. It assumes that God is just like all of these other false gods out there. Jephthah saw God as an equal playing field. Like he saw himself as equal to God, like he could buy his way to him. Just one more God to be manipulated. Just one more God to be appeased. So let's make a deal. And Jephthah didn't understand the character of God. He didn't understand the love of God. He didn't understand the purpose of God. He didn't really have a relationship with God. And he made a foolish vow. Now remember, Jephthah won, right? Like by a lot. Like he crushed. He was so good. So he had to keep the vow. And this is what happened. Hang on to your britches. Here we go. When Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. Why? Because her dad had just won. His daughter came out. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons, no other daughters. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out. You have completely destroyed me. He blamed it on her, which is hilarious. You've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. So did you catch it? What a fool. What did Jephthah expect to come out of the house? A goat? I don't know. Like people lived in the house. He knew that this could happen. What a, just a buffoon. And he realizes, okay, if I'm going to keep his vow, if I'm going to keep this vow, I kind of have to because I think that God is going to like punish me if I don't because he doesn't understand God. So he gives his daughter as a human sacrifice. He actually does it. Like that's how this story ends. Now I want to be clear. God didn't ask Jephthah to make this vow. And God didn't ask Jephthah to give a human sacrifice. Human sacrifice was actually pretty common in some of these other false God relationships. And this shows that Jephthah just didn't understand who God was. He didn't even really care to ask God to guide him. It was all about making a deal to get what Jephthah wanted. Just like any other false god. 
And the end of the story is, yes, he sacrifices his daughter, and that is how he's remembered. He's not remembered for being a winner. He's remembered for being a killer. So what can we learn from this story? How does it apply to our lives? So my first point is human sacrifice is a no-no. Okay, we all clear? Okay, just wanted to make sure that we're on the same page. But if we look closely, I really think that there's something that I want to make sure that we take home from Jephthah's story today. Here's kind of the big idea that I want to make sure we wrestle with. Because God doesn't need you to make a deal. God wants you to surrender everything. And if we're constantly making deals with God, our relationship with God turns transactional. Here's what I mean. Just like Jephthah did in the story, God, if you give me this, a victory, I'll give you that, a sacrifice. But we do it like this. God, if you give me a relationship, I'll give you my devotion. God, if you give me the job that I want, that I'm working really hard for, that promotion that I just put in for, then I'll go to church this Sunday and I'll praise your name. God, if you give me money, I'll give you more money. God, if you give me this, I'll give you that. If you give me this, I'll give you that. And we do this over and over and over in our relationship with God. And that's not how it works because God is in control. We aren't in control. We're making deals on things that aren't ours. They're God's. And so we say things like, God, give me this money. And God's like, it's my money anyway, dude. God, give me this health. And he goes, look, everything in the earth and on he- in the heavens belongs to me. God, give me. Give me. It's about me. Me, me, me. And God says, and I believe gently, I believe kindly, I believe lovingly. He goes, no, you give me. God doesn't need us to make a deal. What he wants is for us to surrender everything, to give it all. A really unfair deal if you look at it that way to follow him with everything that we've got. And it's in this framework where we give everything that we find what he has to give, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's already done. God doesn't need us to make a deal because he's already done what needs to be done. The transaction is already complete. He's already offered it to us. No strings attached through Jesus and the cross. That's the whole design I truly believe that God would have delivered Jephthah the victory without him making a deal. I don't think Jephthah needed to make a deal. God was already with him. God already said, I'm going to show up. And he does the same in your life. He's already given you victory. And he doesn't need you to make a deal. He doesn't need you to do more. He doesn't need you to figure out more because he's already done it on the cross. God doesn't need what you have. But he does want you to surrender everything because what he has is beyond our comprehension. Surrender sounds kind of nice and fancy. It's a church word we use all the time. So I want to kind of dig into it a little bit. Let's break it down so we truly understand what we're talking about today. Because how? How do we surrender everything? I don't like that, actually. When I start to think about it, I'm like, I don't want to give away everything. Like, I I mean, a little bit of control, right? Like, he wants me to, like, put in some effort. Like, he wants me to pull myself up by my bootstraps, right? 
I don't know. That's not necessarily what we're talking about. What we're talking about is everything before we even get there is surrendered to God. And that's really the question. How do we do that? Jephthah didn't follow God, didn't have a relationship with God, didn't care what God wanted. But he did what God wanted him to do, at least kind of, but kind of by accident. He just happened to do the thing that God wanted to do him to do with the wrong motivation. And in our context, it's not about making a deal. So I just want to define surrender for us. Just, it's a working definition. It's not a perfect definition, but check this out. This is my definition of surrender. To give over all aspects of our lives and do our best to be in alignment with and prompted by God. Like to give over everything and to be in alignment with God's will. And if we surrender everything, I think we're giving over all aspects, every single nook and cranny of who we are and what we're all about. And when we do that, it's not a transaction. It's not like, well, once you do that, I'll give you this because he's already given us all of that. But he does say, hey, the closer you get to me, the better things get. But if we're honest with each other, we're much more comfortable giving over some like surrender-ish, surrender light, you know, like less calories, less sugar, less surrender. We hold something back a lot in our relationship with God, whether we realize it or not, or we kind of like being able to do what we want to do and ask for forgiveness later or not to really deal with the stuff and we just push it aside. This reminds me of a story of a little boy. He's like, He's all in his pajamas and he's praying before he goes to bed quietly and, and he just really wants what's best for him and, and he's just asking God, like, help me out, God. But then finally he's like, God, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it because I'm kind of having a pretty good time as it is. And we do that. We go, God, I'll give it to you if it makes me feel this way. God, I'll follow you if it's easy. God, I want to feel like this. I want to do this. I want to think this. But only in the way I want. If you're cool. And we're called to surrender everything. And that includes our control to God. Jesus said it this way. This is Mark 12, 30. It's better to hear it from Jesus' own mouth anyways. Check this out. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. He follows that up with love your neighbors as yourself. This is called the greatest commandment. And the reason that I love this is this gives us a structure to kind of think through surrender because I just try to find something that doesn't fit into one of these four things. This is a guide that I use simple. It's kind of a fill in the blank statement. Here's what I mean. Are my fill in the blank surrendered to God? Is my heart, soul, mind, and strength, which we just just read, are my emotions, desires, thoughts, and actions surrendered to God? So what we're going to do is we're going to take just a couple of steps through these four quadrants, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to surrender those things to God. Ask some questions. We're just going to kind of walk through them. So we're going to start with the heart, start with emotions here. This is all the love, 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 love stuff, but it's also every other emotion. It's hurt. It's anger. It's fear. 
It's anxiety, it's jealousy, it's every emotion that we have. God created us with these emotions to draw us closer to him. Are your emotions surrendered to God? Or do you expect your emotions to lead you to God? Do you expect God to lead your emotions? How do you feel today? How are you feeling I know that sometimes when we answer that question, it's a little complicated and, and we don't always know what to do, especially with negative feelings like depression or anger or fear or pain. And sometimes we do need medicine and we do need a counselor and those things are amazing things and they're helpful things, but we need to start with surrender. Are there emotions that are bothering us and that we've never bothered to give to God? So what makes you mad or sad or glad or bad, or tad, I don't know, I ran out. Is it surrendered to God? Is how you feel surrendered to God? This is difficult stuff. This is next level stuff. This is painful stuff. What's next? So the heart and emotions, the next is soul. Another word for that is desires. And soul is kind of a confusing word. We don't always know what to do with it. It's complex. But for to now, for just for today, like for simplicity's sake, I'd say our hope, our will, our desire, like what we want and what we'll do to get it. Desire is an incredibly powerful thing. A lot of the deals that we make come down to what we desire. We want the relationship. We want the safety. We want the security. We want people to like us. We want to be comfortable. We want to be rich. We want to be funny. We want to be happy. We want. What do you want the most and is it surrendered to God? What do you care about the most? Like just deep inside of you, is it surrendered to God? There's the heart, and there's the soul, now the mind. Have you ever thought about what you think about? Like, that's a weird little thing to do, right? It just keeps going and going and going and going. Do you think more about God than yourself? I asked myself that question this week. I did not like the answer. What do you spend your time worrying about? What do you spend your time wondering about? What do you spend your time praying about? What do you spend your time talking about? What do you spend your time searching the internet about? What do you, thoughts drive you? Are your thoughts surrendered to God? Are they about what is right, about what is true, about what is pure, about what God wants you to focus on? Have you ever said, God, I want to think about what you want me to think about? The good, the bad, the ugly, everything. I want it to be yours, God. I want my motivation to be yours. I want my heart to be yours. I want my mind to be yours. And then the last one, where it kind of all comes together, the strength actions. Have you surrendered what you do to God? Your behavior, your relationships, what you spend, what you save, what you want, every single aspect of our lives falls into one of these categories. And thinking about these four areas when it, we're talking about surrender can be helpful because it's so challenging and so exhaustive. Have you surrendered? Are my blank surrendered to God? Here's, here's a spoiler. The answer is no, not everything. 
That's my guess. Is there something going on in your life that you haven't surrendered to God? What's bothering you the most? What feelings are you feeling the most? Is there anything dragging you down? Is there anything you know in your head and your heart don't honor God, aren't aligning with God and what he wants for your life? An addiction, a relationship, a fear, a lifestyle, a behavior. I encourage you, allow God to bring something to your mind right now. Allow him to fill in the blank. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to all do this together. So I encourage you, bow your head with me right now. And repeat this prayer after me. Let God answer the question, are my fill-in-the-blank surrendered to God? Like, what is it for you? What does he want you to surrender today? Is something coming to mind? I really hope that it is. I, I hope that you don't leave this time together without letting him answer that question for you. God, help us fill in this blank right now. And if you want to surrender it, if you want to take that first step in surrendering it, just repeat this simple prayer where you're at, just in your head, in your heart, in your mind with me. Say this after me. God, I surrender to you. God, it's yours. I give it up. God, I will allow you to lead me and guide me. Help me follow you completely. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Help me align with what you want. Prompt me to be who you want me to be. God, we surrender. Amen. We wrap up with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to surrender to you, that you are a God that knows exactly where we are, exactly what we think and feel and want and do. There's no surprise in this for you. And I'm so grateful that the deals that we tried to make are already complete. Like we're like, God, help us. And you're saying, child, I already have. I'm just so grateful for your love and for Jesus and the cross and for this reminder today that you don't want us to make a deal with you. You don't need that. What you want is for us to surrender everything as you draw close because you're already with us. You already love us. You already provide hope and joy and peace and love. I'm just so grateful for that, that you can turn our worries and our negative emotions and our desires that don't align with you and you can turn them into something good. You can turn these areas of our lives that we don't surrender to you, that when we surrender them, that you are already there, you're already working, you're already providing. That as we live with you, that you again and again and again say, I'm with you, I love you, I have got you right where I want you. You are in this place for a purpose, and this purpose is to be with me. So God, we surrender. Whatever it is that's filling in the blank, we surrender it to you today. And it's because of Jesus we get to pray a prayer like that. Amen.